and welcome to this episode of Tones and Drones, an ambient music podcast. I'm Jason Miller, host, and the program is produced in the studios of 91.3 KVLU. And my guest on this episode of the program is composer Meg Bowles. The first album of hers that I listened to was called Evensong, Canticles for the Earth, and that really got me listening to more in her discography, which will feature some excerpts, of course, here on the podcast, so you can hear the really beautiful soundscapes that she creates. And it was wonderful talking to her, and I hope that uh, you enjoy our conversation. The composition now is called Evensong, the title cut, if you will, from her album Canticles for the Earth, and... We'll also hear some selections from her album, A Quiet Light and The Shimmering Land, and talk about the background on those albums and more on this episode of Tones and Drones with my guest, Meg Bowles. Thanks for being on Tones and Drones. Sure, my pleasure. I appreciate it very much. After reading a bit about your background in music, I was just wondering where your style of of um of ambient and electronic and whatever terms you like to use, where did where did uh, where did that where did it come from? Like where did your your style and, and what you wanted to accomplish come from? Yeah, you know that that's a really great question. Um, as you probably have read, I have a classical music background. Um, yes. And that really is probably the most formative piece of my, the, the essence of my style, um, okay. which is very orchestral, very cinematic. Um, ages ago, I think it might have been possibly in the late, late 80s, I happened to be listening to Steve Roach's Dreamtime Return. And yes. that's probably what started it uh, okay. because it's so cool. And um, around that time, uh, my husband, who was doing a fair amount of arranging for brass, um, he's also a classical musician, now digital audio engineer, producer, classical music, um, and uh, he got a synthesizer, a Kurzweil um, K1000, I believe, 
And he thought it might be helpful for him in his arranging work. Well, I, I started playing around with it because um, I thought, wow, this is, this is really cool. And it, it kind of started me on the road to composing. I, I absconded with it, basically. Um, I took his piece of gear and <laughs> adopted it. Um, as it turned out, he, he preferred using the piano, so that was fine. Okay. Um, and that that's really where it started. You know, this this idea of a different sort of a sonic space, I think, um, you know, especially uh, Steve Roach's music really does take us into a, a different world. Um, and the idea of creating soundscapes has been something that has kind of been the underlayment of my work ever since that time. Okay. So start, I started out with just experimenting, having fun playing around, and then it gradually grew into something more serious. Now, you know, it, it, you bring up several different different paths there, and 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 uh, looking at Dreamtime Return, and uh, and and also maybe the first Steve Roach album that that I heard. I think that one or Quiet Music. I think was Quiet. the first one. Yes. Was the first one that I, I probably heard because mm-hmm. we have we have a lot of his stuff here, and and uh, and and continue to to receive his music. Um, that album uh was one for me that was the first time i probably had listened to electronic music and in the soundscapes with the world influence with his aboriginal mm. influence to it yes. and and mm-hmm. stuff and stuff like that so was that something that you think drew you into it too also having that aspect of you know a lot of acoustic instruments in it not being so purely electronic for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's always a very interesting combination. I think, uh, you know, my work has taken me more into the exclusively electronic spaces. Um, mm-hmm. I, I don't make uh, much use of acoustic instruments with the exception of my album From the Dark Earth, where which I wrote yeah. for Dave Bilger, the principal trumpet of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Okay. Uh, and, yeah. uh, but for the most part, yeah, the, the tribal stuff has always been been very, very interesting, But but I have not felt so drawn to to using it myself okay okay um yeah the uh the vigil song from from uh the dark earth is one that really that one really drew me in there's just mm-hmm. a, that that particular piece about it and and uh, there's like a um and so well you know going back a little bit too in into uh to classical music um were what was your background there you know as far as like a what were you playing in orchestras, chamber? Both, both of those. Music, um, all of it. My, my training is as a as a flutist, and of course, I did a fair amount of chamber music, um, a lot of orchestral playing. I think, um, basically, when when I was a kid, when we always had these ideas as kids of you know this is what I'm going to be when I when I grow up. I I had always wanted to be a doctor, um, and you know was was kind of on that path, and then. Um, uh, eighth grade, I had my first experience playing in an orchestra and oh my goodness, that was so cool. And, you know, I just basically did a pivot at that point. And um, I had been studying privately for a number of years prior to that. Um, But yes, um, orchestral playing. Yes, I I did a lot of that um, in the course of my studies. Yeah, it's 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 something about that. I had a similar experience of of being in. We were I had just wind ensemble when I was growing up, so you mm-hmm. know, with the strings. But it, it was um, it was being inside the the inside the music. It's yes. like even I'll even tell people I was like you know there's something about listening to the the, the orchestra or or the wind ensemble and then being in the brass section or whatever section you're in surrounded by it. Even yeah. whenever everybody just plays, you know, just 
a concert f together and you're mm-hmm. in it you're in it it's it's yes. it's a it's a different thing than out there you're hearing it differently and also you're experiencing it differently and then you're directly participating in it <laughs> the sound yes absolutely yeah. i mean it can be really a, a sort of a, almost a mystical experience mm-hmm. um especially when everything is coming together and you're you're all working for that same common purpose yeah. And, and so, okay. So that's a shift there into to classical music. Now, you know, another thing that I, that's, it's come up on this program and, and different little threads um, as at, at this point, um, uh, the, the music that, that goes into the ambient realms, however, is, is becoming like um, a new, a new orchestral music. I don't want to say a new classical music, but I mean, with not just Max Richter, but just other people I've spoken to whose music almost is, is the 21st century, you know, it sits there in that realm. Does that make sense? Like a new classical form, a new orchestral form, even if it's be created by one person that has the technology. Yes. To build it themselves. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it yeah. absolutely makes sense. And I think I think uh, one of the intriguing aspects of the ambient genre is that it really can embrace so many different genres and it can be incorporated into them and vice mm-hmm. versa. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's like the, one of the first things, too, is that, you know, like you'd mentioned earlier, it, it's cinematic. Like music mm-hmm. has a cinematic quality. OK, so, you know, yeah. it's like it could easily accompany visuals or people have yeah. visuals in their mind as they go, go through them. Um, how do you work with um, with uh, any type of um, visual inspiration in your music and soundscapes? Any particular, you know, I mean, it's progressed over the years, but what are some ones that you've come back to that set up the soundscape with a landscape or or or, some, yeah. or, or something like that? You know, as a visual component to it, which you, you know, might be inspired by. I could say, you know, that, that's better. A, that, that, no, that's a great question. Um, I think. I mean, I'm, I'm very visual, very, very sensate. And above all, it's that experience that I, I carry with me. Um, my thinking brain is, is, is not so active. It's, it's more my body and uh, certainly emotions and so on and so forth. Um, but I always seem to be carrying with me the idea of a landscape. Um, and I think with electronic music, it, it kind of uh, calls up images of a landscape that might be somewhat related to our, you know, physical 3D, you know, time space place on this planet. Um, but for me, it, it, it's otherworldly as well. And I think it's been kind of an interesting process for me to kind of combine that, this idea of an extraterrestrial world or worlds out there with what's here. And perhaps yeah. with combining it with the, the non-ordinary aspects of our world, um, you know, especially uh, when we are in a place of solitude, um, you know, gazing out at the horizon. I mean, it, it really, I mean, it can be an a, a astonishing experience to apprehend just the beauty of our world and the mystery of it. And yeah. I think that there's some quality to the electronic palette um, particularly with ambient music, which works so deeply with texture um, and surrounding one um, that can basically take you on a journey into a different place, imaginally and in other ways. Yeah. So I carry with me this, this image, getting back to your question of 
a very wide soundscape, a very wide horizon, you know, big sky, um, occasionally water. Um, there have been, I think with my album, Blue Cosmos, there, there was more of an image of an other, other world, kind of a, a, a blue planet, which is on the cover. Yeah, it's on the cover, um, sure. Yeah. And, you know, again, with with images and with how I work, it's not that I am trying to compose something that evokes that image. It's something that happens in the creative process where, yes, I'm holding this image in my mind, it keeps coming back to me. And I'm also writing and I'm not sure exactly how the two intersect. I know yeah. that they do. OK. And, and well, you know, and that and and in looking at the, the at the even song album the canticles for the earth okay so um the, the those are those are those are liturgical terms those are biblical yes. biblical terms those are yeah, the, yeah. The, the ancient church the old church yeah. uh, something i i like uh latin gregorian mm -hmm. chant modern mm -hmm. mixtures of that and yeah. uh, so that was very appealing to me right away to, to hear that um yeah. and so what how how about that that going back into those ancient times of, of that old music, but then also making it, drawing that into the now, you know, yeah. the aspects of, of old mass parts. And I mean, just yeah, yeah. how yeah, does it, that come into your music? I found that very interesting in listening to this album. Especially given that uh, my parents were not religious people. Um, my dad, uh, is who's still alive, um, is a musicologist and oh, wow. his area of expertise was music of the middle ages and the Renaissance. So of course oh. I grew up hearing the music of Palestrina. Um, oh, sure. I mean, it was mm. just, and it, and it's something that I think it, it just absolutely takes me into a place of such peace. Um, uh, and um, so that that kind of that has always been there with me. Um, you know, the choral music, the the Gregorian chant, there's something that in, in the contemplative quality of it that just takes me to a spiritual place. Um, I can't say it's a it's a religious place, per se, because yeah. um, that's not my background. But but there's definitely a mystical piece there. And the idea with Evensong, as I. You know, it's not that that idea was with me before I started writing music. It kind of evolved alongside in a, in a yeah. parallel process, um, which is this idea of a certain time of day where you can be in solitude and, and again, just, just kind of observe and experience the wonder of, of, of that time. And to know that in many uh, religious traditions, there are people that gather together at that time. Um, to give thanks, to worship, whatever. Um, and, you know, in, in, in the case of Evensong, what I tied it to was, I think my, my love of the land um, where I live. And I live um, near a body of water and I do a lot of walking. And, um, you know, I never ever tire of, of looking at the water. I mean, or looking at the sky and seeing how things change and seeing how, the textures change and evolve slowly kind of sounds like ambient music. <laughs> so um, that's, that's really uh, what I took with me and um, what seems to unite that album. Yeah. It's, it's uh, I, I just, I really, I really uh, in, in, in enjoyed it very much um, because 
and and it, and, and it's the title Canticles for the Earth. I, I mm-hmm. want to mention that for those listening. That's the the rest of the title after Evensong and 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 what yeah. Evensong means in the in in the church in the church world. Um, is there um, uh, any particular song on there that comes to mind right now as far as part of that process? Any one particular particular well, song from it? Yeah, there there is one. Um, the last piece, "Time and Light," um, okay. which again, the the image that that kept coming to me as I was writing it was um, that of some kind of a maelstrom, some kind of a you know, like the winds that that erode vast structures of mountains and so on, um, and it can. It can feel intense, it can feel almost violent, but at the end there is kind of a redemptive quality. Things quiet down and life goes on.
the the interesting thing is um, uh, it was the the album was mastered right before we had uh, an extraordinary weather event happen here in this part of the world. We had a a, a macro burst come over. I mean, our my home was ground zero for it basically. Oh my gosh! Um, and it toppled probably about two dozen trees, many of which were these vast, huge pines that surrounded the house. They were uprooted, they were shorn off. Um, it was just total destruction. Um, thankfully, uh, there wasn't as much loss of life as you might've expected. Sadly, there was, there was some in my town, but, um, and thankfully my home wasn't, there was not much structural damage, it was more uh, although we did have an outbuilding that was totally, totally destroyed as a huge pine fell on top of it, which I witnessed. Um, but it was terrifying. And I found myself hanging onto that piece um, after, after it. Uh, you know, all of us had a certain degree of PTSD because of the high winds and the fact that it was just so destructive. And nobody here had ever been through something like that before. Yeah, I'm not really familiar with it. It's a type of storm. It's condition. a type of storm with extremely high winds. Um, we had some rotational winds, some tornadic winds that were okay. embedded in that, in that macro burst, but essentially the, uh, the eventually, uh, given the, the extent of the destruction, the, the straight line winds were probably upwards of 120, 130 miles an hour. Wow. That's like hurricane strength here. It, we're on it the Gulf coast. Crazy. Yeah. It was absolutely crazy. And, um, I remember so keenly how I felt I was with my daughter um, my husband was out of town, which usually happens when things like this hit. Oh no. Um, oh, no. <laughs> um and um I found myself just hanging on in the aftermath to that piece. Um, mm. I think because there was something about it that and and I had this really bizarre sense that God, maybe I wrote it. Part of me wrote it for me, not knowing that I was gonna encounter that I was gonna have this experience of a very destructive storm. Um and, um, you know, we were like deer in the headlights. We were, people were walking, uh, just observing the damage, not knowing what to do. But this, this piece kept going through my mind. And I realized over and over and over and over again. And I realized that it was part of how I was trying to deal with the, the stress and the aftermath. And the music gave me kind of a narrative, something to hang on to, to take me through into a place of, of greater peace, quiet, um, and um, I mean, it was kind of a kind of an astonishing experience. Um, yeah. But I, but I took that with me. And what what really was was important was I was so much aware when I was creating this album of the love I carry, the love I, I have for the land and for, you know, all the, the life forms on it, the trees, the, the birds, the wildlife, the water. Um, and um, it was really, the album really became an expression of that kind of glimpses into my own experience living here in this space on, on this earth. And, um, I was just grateful to have had that, to realize that, yes, it's important to, to love what we love as deeply as we can while we can, because, you know, it, it doesn't last forever. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I know. And it's like, I find I find um, as the years pass by, it's just a fact that that gets more and more prominent in your mind about yes. time and what I'm doing with my time. Absolutely. And, uh, and 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 obviously the pandemic has put that 
I'm sure ahead in a lot of people's mind, it has mine. It's oh, like, yes. this is an event for that. And uh, well, I mean, in, in the, that, that's, it's, it's so what part of the country, what part of the country are y'all, are y'all in? Connecticut, Western Connecticut. And you're Connecticut. So yeah, because so you're out of Tornado Alley and mm-hmm. I'm sure hurricanes, I know they go up the East Coast, but usually are pretty much spared. I know we had right. that really terrible storm years ago. That was New Jersey and New York. And, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. um, and, and, uh, but yeah, so that guy, that must've really, because y'all really weren't even used to that. I mean, we have our hurricane yeah. thing. And then I know I have some friends that live in tornado alley and they have that thing. Yeah. But, yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, the weather patterns do seem to have, have changed, um, over the years and whether that's, you know, part of a typical process, I really don't know, but they've yeah. definitely gotten more severe we've always been prone to having you know come pretty come may really intense thunderstorms um and and this was this was one of them um and you could see it approaching and um i took a photo of the this massive cloud just sounds very ominous yeah yeah and then and then literally 12 minutes later it was like total destruction oh my gosh that's so and and then yeah and then i see you know and and i when you mention that too i also see that's that's um form wise that's the longest track on the album and that's your sequence at the very end of the album so for some for some resolve Mm -hmm. you know in in that in that in that process of it um i i I wanted to um I i wanted to ask when you you know talking we're talking about around the way about composing um what are some of your means of composing as far as um because this show we talk we get into you know right do you, do you write it down on paper improv combination thereof yeah um i know the technology has allowed us to compose different i mean yes i've yes. I've, I've gone through even the, the more real-time era to the piecemeal daws and stuff like that how yep. do, how do you how do you usually per se c- compose the music especially from a classical yes. background where yeah you know form probably very unlike uh a classical uh, composer might have um decades past um you know in a in a very kind of a linear fashion um sure. it's a very non-linear uh process for me i usually start out by just playing around with sounds and uh tweaking them and i listen very closely for any sorts of ideas that gestures musical gestures that might might come to me in that process and then i start i start recording you know um okay and it could be starting with kind of a, a drone it could be starting with more of a melodic gesture um you know it, it could be anything and it i just start and then it evolves from there very similar i would say to sculpture um okay. my my mother was an artist. She was a painter and I would watch her paint as a little kid. And she would, um, uh, approach her work, um, paint something. Then she would step back and she would look at it. She would kind of cock her head to one side and then she would approach it again and do something, you know? So it was kind of this process of tweaking and working that for me feels most analogous to sculpture where you might start out with a block of granite and then you're, you're wondering, okay, now what is, what wants to come out of that? You know, what wants to emerge from that? And um, I don't know ahead of time, I don't necessarily have musical ideas ahead of time and then try to replicate that 
um, and in you know, uh, it it really starts more in an improvisatory way. Um, even though improv is not my background, um, that's how it starts. It starts in the spirit of play, and then I just let it evolve from there. And it goes through several stages. Um, and uh, usually, I wind up hitting some roadblocks where nothing works, which is really a sign for me to put it put it away. It just means that the creative work is is going on in the unconscious and it hasn't yet developed to a point where it's time for it to come out. And so I'll pick it up later, you know, a week later, two weeks later, sometimes months, maybe even years later. Um, And, and, and so, yeah, it's, it's very, it's very piecemeal. It's very like tweaking this, adjusting that listening, um, hearing something in my mind that wants, you know, that wants to be there um, experimenting um, and gradually it, it, it comes together. Okay. Do do you do you notate things to remember them? Notate lines. Um, you know, I've I've tried that. It doesn't really work for me. Um, I just I just start recording. Um, yeah. You yeah. know, and I mean, it, it that yeah. is for me the notation is That's the is the recording. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, I, I've uh, I found that fascinating too. This show has really brought to light. A lot of a lot a lot of the, the notion to um, record and then edit, or 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 yeah. I'll say I say record in real time. You know, have yes. as much stuff yes. going in real time, and absolutely, and yeah. uh, and the music is the meditation. So the recording, it, it it seems to be different than than other music where you know you're putting these all these tracks together. But how about if the music's the meditation because it's all happening as much as you can do in real time. Yes. Yes. For a string. Yeah. yeah. For a given amount of time. Yeah. And, you know, with regards to notation, the other thing is, um, you know, a lot of of our electronic sounds have kind of what I call a bloom, you know, it's not, they have a long attack in in more technical terms. And so notate that. How would you notate that? How would you notate a long? No, it doesn't. The traditional notation doesn't really work. And for me, I find it kind of constricting. I'd rather just use my ears. Yeah. and you know, approach it from from there. I've never really thought about that because you can actually really make things just you can make with electronic sounds. You can make no attack. You can have a long release, or you can have just yeah. the sustain. And exactly. like how we want to start a note with you know a bell tone or or, or, or a staccato start, and, and electronic music can literally have no attack. <laughs> exactly. exactly. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And the way you thought about that way. Yeah. line up your tracks would be very different than if you were trying to attempt to notate them, which could be insane. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like it would be cool. I've thought of there's been tracks I've done. I was like, it'd be neat to hear an orchestra play this, but I don't know if it's actually possible. Yeah, not just key- not just financially yeah. or whatever, yeah. but, you know, <laughs> what would you well, give them to play? Yeah, is, you know. of course, you know, with with from the darker, several of the of the pieces um, I do make available to um, uh, folks who wish to perform them with synth accompaniment, um, their pre-recorded accompaniment. And, oh, cool. you know, I, I myself did not do the notation. Um, my husband was quite versed in finale, so he used that. Um, oh, cool. And, and the thing is, we had to incorporate all kinds of descriptive cues so mm. that, you know, um, you know, uh, the performer would know what to listen for. Um, and of course, that's the, the trumpet parts are notated in the traditional way. So, uh, okay. you know, uh, but yeah, it would be it would be quite a challenge for an orchestra to 
perform something like that. Like that. And but, honestly, yeah. my music is not designed to be performed live. I mean, it, it's just yeah. not the the recording is is the performance. It's a performance. Okay. Yeah. Very much so. And I and and I think that's one of the personally, I think that's one of the great things about ambient electronic music is it's documented as 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 the recording um yeah. and, and 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 exist and exist in that way um the uh um and and for as far as like um mentioning the background in in, in playing the flute an instrument i always think is one of the instruments that works with is is super versatile i've i, I love the flute i wish i i played it the transverse flute you're talking about you were playing the the transverse flute the orchestral flute right the silver flute or whatever right. opposed yeah. to Native American a poet or any other yeah an ethnic yes. flute or something yeah okay yeah because there's so there's so many and then when you learn about the family of them like the contrabass one and the bass mm -hmm. and the alto oh, yeah. and all the tones oh, sure. and stuff like yeah. that do, yeah. do you still do you still um do you still incorporate sounds from the flute in your music I I don't I think where I started from initially was um you know using electronic uniquely electronic sounds um not you know, sampled orchestral instruments. Of course, back when I started writing, the sampling wasn't all that great to begin with. And, you know, why not use the real thing? If, if I want to use a flute, I use a real flute and, you know, the real person playing it. Um, yeah. And, uh, however, I, I use electronic sounds with the idea in mind that somebody could be playing them. And so um, I'm always very much aware of breathing, uh, the phenomenon of breathing, which, which helps to phrase and, and express musically what the ideas are. Um, uh, but getting back to your question, um, no, I haven't really, I've used some flute-like sounds um, in my work, but not flute specifically. Specifically, okay. And, um, you know, I was, when I was looking through, um, when I was also looking through your background, um, your, 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 uh, your background in, in psycho, as a psychoanalyst, okay, so <laughs> So I, I wanted to ask you about that, um, your background in that. And then uh, I was really intrigued by the um, your bio is talking about creativity and, and, and trauma and, mm -hmm. and yeah. how um, how how um, can you talk a little bit about that and, and, and how you you you're using I'm sure is creativity being used to help people cope with various trauma? I think I, you know, how that do you explain it. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's it's kind of a, a a deep and complicated subject. Um, I think all of us have an innate creative part to our psyches. And um, when a person experiences trauma, I think that creative piece kicks into gear because we want to understand what we've been through. We want to express what we've been through. Um, um, and I'm. it never ceases to amaze me how creative people are in getting themselves through um, the experiences that they have that, that are traumatic. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's really interesting. There, there's, um, there's kind of this idea that, that trauma basically breaks us into pieces when it, when it's deep enough. Um, sure. Sure. And, you know, we can feel that we've lost parts of ourselves and then um this process can kick in where we gradually are able to gather parts of ourselves together and create some kind of a, a narrative, not necessarily in words. I mean, this is where I think music comes into play because we can have feelings listening to a piece of music that, that evokes um, 
a, a deeply emotional place. Um, and it can call back memories. Um, and it can, because music has a, has a beginning, a middle and an end, essentially. Um, it can bring us, it can help to bring us through an experience. You know, you might be tempted to ask, do I use music in my, my work as a psychoanalyst? I sure. don't. I don't. Um, and I'm not a music therapist, but I pay attention to using my listening, using, you know, listening to how, how do people's voices sound when they're, when they're sharing their story with me? Um, you know, what are the nuances? And, you know, it's, it's really interesting because as people do their own work and as people work through their own traumas, what I find in their dream work is that often the dreams and it, and it, I may have something to do with it. Some people know I'm a musician. Other, other patients do not. Um, uh, but the symbol of a musician, um, uh, can, can often be evoked in people's dreams as they have begun to work through and have gotten to a place where perhaps they're feeling a sense of resolution with whatever they went through. Um, music can, can be a, a, a unifying force and a very healing force. Um, and it can hold us in a space that allows us to feel and to remember. And, um, you know, that's, I'm, I'm always aware of that. I don't use it actively with patients, but, but many of them just spontaneously share, you know, the music that they like, the music that they're drawn to and what's, what's helpful for them. Um, and it's fascinating. Um, yeah, I, that that's that's interesting because uh you know one thing i've always gleaned from instrumental music is that it um sometimes it it goes beyond the limits of words if you don't have words or if you struggle with writing words or or you you wrote words at some point in your musical journey and you just think my poetry is terrible or i can't really express what i want to say or whatever it is instrumental music feels where there is no words i mean that's what makes it so great around the world you yes. know, how, like jazz and stuff being mm-hmm. international, classical, ambient, you know, obviously that's something, but where there are no words, instrumental music yes. can express it the emotions to- that people are trying to heal from or, or whatever it could be. It, it, you're absolutely right. Um, and I think I, I've often told people music is my first language. You know, it's not it's not English. It's it's words. It's music, music. Um, you know, it's something that that I've been aware of as as a child. I mean, I've always had music going through my brain, and and I didn't know where, where it came from. I just you know, sometimes it it there were echoes of things I was listening to. Other times it was totally different. Um, uh, but yeah, I mean. I don't know if you're familiar with, with Temple Grandin. Um, she, she is um, an autistic person who has written uh, wonderful books, one of which was Animals in Translation. And, um, it's a translation. Animals in Translation. And um, she uh, did a lot of her own work in, in the field of animal husbandry and trying to get, you know, humane treatment of animals, um, uh, you know, on, on board. And, she describes a moment where uh, the mother of an autistic daughter, who maybe maybe was three or four, um, five, um, was was sharing with her, and um, her daughter uh, could re- could not really understand a sentence by itself, the words by themselves. But when the words were sung to her, 
she could understand it. And there's something about wow. music as an underlayment to words, as an underlayment to language. Um, uh, you know, I can read a piece of text, for example, um, and not have much of a, a connection with it. But if I hear that same text, those same words accompanied by music, um, it, it just opens up a whole new world. Yeah. That, yeah, that's, that's fat. That's uh yeah, I feel, I feel the same way about that. Even if you look into like the, the Orthodox church, the Catholic church, they sing that sometimes the whole service is sung. All mm-hmm. the words are sung and yeah. experiencing that for the first time. I'm like, I'm taking this in a lot more if it, if it versus it being recited. Yeah, absolutely. Without yeah. any accompaniment or without a, 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 a chant form to the voice, right. you know, right. what, whatever yeah. that is, a plain song or whatever. Yeah. Um, uh, this is, this is just relating to your, your work in, in creativity and, and trauma. Do you, do you, um, do you employ journaling and writing or recording dreams or anything like that? Um, Actually, it's get, going into writing. I'm going to ask yeah, you a yeah. writing question, I mean, I, but I, I know heard... journaling can, uh, journaling can be creative in very, a lot of ways, yeah. visually, visual art drawings uh, are you, you know. are you asking with respect to my own personal yeah process? yeah to your personal okay. do, do, do yeah, you do you how do you utilize journaling or journaling yeah. or writing writing in general <clears throat> you know i i have a i have a really difficult complicated relationship with words uh i would i tell people i write notes not words um <laughs> i mean i i you know that being said um I kept dream journals for, for many years, many, many years. Um, haven't been dreaming as, as often um, over the past you know, couple of decades. But um, yeah, I was, I was, dreams are, are hugely important. And, and basically, um, you know, in my own case, yeah, I've had a bunch of big dreams in my life. And um, it, it's what really drew me, um, plus, you know, my own personal traumas and whatnot into um, working with, um, an analyst who was more from a a Jungian background. So, so he, um, was very much aware of, um, you know, our experiences of the transcendent and how that factors in not only to our being human, but how we navigate our way through life and, and what has meaning and what has importance. Um, so dreams for me, yes, hugely important. The journaling part, I, I don't know. Um, I'm not so inclined to do that for myself. I can, I can be very supportive and encouraging of others if that's, you know, what, what works for them. Um, it's it's really whatever, whatever works, any sort of way of getting ourselves into contact with what Jung called the self with a capital S, which, um, Mm. in his view, um, is the part of the psyche that is deeply connected, not only with the, the collective unconscious, but with a spiritual piece. Um, and, um, you know, that in, in, in his mind, that was true for every single human being, regardless of whatever, you know, cultural or religious background they came from. Okay. And is, but in, in, in your practice, um, in your practice, you're, uh, you're trying to find what works for a particular patient. And so does journaling is journaling one that is a good, starting place with people sometime it, it can be versus I mean, a, some other type yeah. of creative expression yeah, yeah. i mean it, it often can be um uh you know simply 
making note of one's dreams, simply making note of, you know, um, associations. And um, what do I think of when I have this experience? Hmm. Um, images. Um, and, you know, journaling can certainly be a part of that. Um, yeah. I'm <clears throat> more inclined to work with people to connect in the moment with um, the images and sensations and feelings that that might be attempting to become conscious at, you know, right at that, at that particular moment to pause and say, um, uh, you know, what, what image comes to you right now as, as you're sharing your story with me? Um, well, you know, and then, then that often opens okay. the door and it, okay. it basically makes it okay for people to have an experience with a part of themselves that is that in most cases is more unconscious or subconscious than conscious okay okay and uh very interesting i, I and 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 uh and you you currently have been practicing for several years and in, in that in that back in that background is oh, that yeah. some, did you did you go is that is is that what you went for further education in is is I, is psychology yeah. Yes, um, I actually, um, yeah, I have, I have a degree in, in psychoanalysis. I'm a licensed okay. practitioner. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, basically since uh, for the past 20 years. Okay. I've been- wow, it's very interesting. It's, it's so fascinating to me that people that work in this realm of music also do if they're working in another field. It's, it's just, it's, I yeah. find it so interesting how, yeah. it, how it, you know, how it, uh, it's just, it's very, it's very unique, this this community of, of, of people that work in these realms. Um, I, um, I I wanted to, I wanted to ask you uh, a a bit about sometime on this show, we do go into a little bit of, of, uh, of uh, instrument talk. Um, What, uh, so, so you like, you, you still like to use a keyboard interface synthesizer based, based music. I do. I'm not a keyboardist. I know where the notes are, though. Um, yeah. I use a MIDI. I use a MIDI controller. Okay, um, you're MIDI. Okay. Cool. Yeah, yeah, and I okay. use a Logic Pro. Logic. Okay. Law. Yeah, and, okay. A, and a bunch of a bunch of plugins. Um, okay. And so, if if you were to look at my studio, you'd see the keyboard. Obviously, you'd see my iMac Pro. You'd see my audio interface, and that's, that's my it. speaker. That's that's it, pretty okay. much. Okay. Okay. Oh, um. Um. What do you like about that setup coming from from coming from like hardware gear, right? I mean, going back into the nineties, oh, early two thousands, you've got hardware, you got, I you did got your have sense. And, yeah. and the, the interesting part about that is, um, uh, right after, well, as from the dark earth was, was released, I was actually pregnant with my daughter, Hannah. And, um, you know, obviously after her birth, I was, you know, preoccupied with, with her and, and, um, really at one point, uh, sat with a sense that, hmm, maybe I won't go back to writing music. Maybe I've done enough. Maybe I'm entering into a new phase of my life. Um, but I was actually cool with, with that. And, um, and then several years after she was born, um, I, I had a dream. I was feeling like I was sliding into um, a depression, to be honest. And I had this dream where I found myself wandering down into this deep cave. And I found myself in, in this huge space where there was an orchestra set up, but there were just the chairs and no musicians. 
And I felt such a deep sadness in that moment. And I woke up. And as I shared the dream with my analyst, I realized, oh my God, you know, my psyche is telling me there are these empty chairs. They need to be filled. They need instruments. They need musicians. They need, you know, we need music. And and at that point I realized, oh my God, I have to get back into this. Okay. This is something my psyche is telling me I need to do um, in order to kind of bring myself back out of the depths of, of whatever I was struggling with. Um, and of course, by that time, none of the hardware that I'd used previously, <laughs> it was all obsolete, okay? Okay. Um, including okay. my computer. So I had to start from scratch, um, okay. build myself a new studio. At that point, um, aside from the fact that I work in a, in a rather small contained space, um, it was very intriguing to me to work in the box. It wasn't really all that popular. I think there were, you know, there was a fair amount of judgment against it at that time. Okay. Um, sure. And, uh, but that was okay. I, you know, it sounded, you know, what I was doing sounded good. Um, so A Quiet Light was the album that, sure. that was my next one. And there was sure. like a 12, there was a 12 year period within that. So during yeah. that time I was just rebuilding things and it just, I was just intrigued with with working exclusively in the box. Um, and so that's really how it evolved. And I haven't I uh, honestly I haven't I haven't looked back. Um, it is it has worked for me. It'll work until it doesn't work anymore. And I'll move into probably back to hardware. I'm back know. to hardware. <laughs> that's a shift that happens a lot. People going back and yep. forth and and yeah. incorporating both Absolutely. into it. With uh, okay, so that okay, so coming out of coming out of that, going into a quiet light, and uh, you know, uh, listening to listening to that album, and then also reading about um, looking for a uh, a liminal space. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, can you talk about that inspiration for that album? And again, a Latin coming from Latin again, and that ties into yeah. some of the ancient oh yeah inspirations. Yeah, well, I, I think I've been intrigued with the idea of a liminal space or a threshold that that carries us into it acts like a portal into another world. I think I've been preoccupied with that. Yeah, my life, honestly, um, I'm kind of a mystic um, in that regard and have always known it. Um, I think with a quiet light that the, the visual was, again, twilight where all of our senses shift. And things don't look the way they do in broad daylight. And it can be very, um, there, there can be a wonderful sense of calm and peace during that time as the light shifts. And um, my awareness was, uh, in the course of my walks, was simply <clears throat> of um, kind of a quiet light that is part of every living thing. Um, and... Uh, and just, again, just observing and experiencing that. Um, you know, it's kind of a, for me personally, I think it's kind of a, a uniting factor. Um, the idea that in, the, in this world, we can have so many different kinds of people and, and landscapes, and yet <clears throat> they all have a spirit, they all have a life. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of what went into A Quiet Life.
I've been very much drawn to the voice and some of the, the vocal plugins. Um, and especially, you know, especially with the, the pandemic happening in parallel fashion, people have not been able to, to gather together and sing. Um, uh, choral music has been something I've been involved with now for a number of years. Um, and, um, you know, it just was not possible during the pandemic. Um, whether it'll start up again in the fall, it looks kind of iffy. Um, oh, in what way? In what um, way? S- singing with a chorus? or Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, no, I've but, been singing in a, in a chamber chorus now for a number of years. Um, nice. I, I sang in a much larger group when I was living in Boston. Um, and it was always something, you know, uh, as, as, a, as a trained classical musician, yeah, I was trained as a flutist, not as a singer. So for me, it was really a way to enjoy something um, that I was not, that I did not have as much training in, let's say, I mean, obviously there's a piece to professional musical training that you can transfer to other, you know, vehicles of expression, whether it's from instrumental to, to vocal or, or what have you, but, but no, I'm, I'm not a trained singer. Um, you know, I didn't, although I appreciate opera, I didn't, didn't study it as a, as a singer. Um, uh, but it, you know, there's something again, as with gathering together with orchestral musicians, you know, to be in a choir, to, lend your voices to have all of these unique individual voices come together and produce a sound. It's, you know, it's pretty incredible. Um, so that, you know, um, that's been intriguing me, the idea of, um, and there's a, a Spitfire audio product, the Eric Whitaker choir, Eric Whitaker is, um, is a, one of the very well-known, modern choral composers, um, you know, known for his textural approach to, oh, to okay. uh, writing, which, which obviously dovetails very nicely with, with ambient music, um, his style, um, the, the, the style of his, his choir is, you know, a more pure tone production as opposed to a choir with lots of vibrato that you would hear in an opera chorus, for example. Um, but a very, you know, much more pure sound, which, which blends really, really well with um, some of the electronic palettes that I use. So wow. um, yeah, I mean, it's been, it's okay. been really fascinating to try to try to make use of both of those. Yeah. He's so he's um, he's created samples of, of, of voices. I mean, I, I'm fascinated by the choral yeah. and orchestral samples now that are yeah. real, real instruments, real. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, there are others as well. Um, yeah. A fluffy audio dominus choir pro that's another one um, um it's, it's kind of fascinating because some of these plugins come with word builders where you can actually plunk in let's say a latin uh you know you know domino spiritus whatever yeah. you want and, oh magnum mysterium you know, yeah, yeah exactly there you exactly. go you come back to the palestrina reference yeah <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 or victoria which is one of my favorite oh, oh victoria is one of my favorites yeah. too thomas yeah. louise and victoria um yes uh, uh, i i i had an album i was given by by a, a a a church director that i when i played with liturgical music and uh it had the motets the the uh and it, the ovas omnis that piece mm-hmm. that piece just oh it's just it's what a beautiful piece of music yeah. his setting of that oh my yeah yeah. It's like, gosh, yeah. I know. And when I, th- I think of, of music back then and how people had to travel great distances to hear music, which was not a part of their daily lives at that point, and, and just how incredibly 
um, just just awe inspiring it must have been to be present with that in some of these um, incredible spaces. Yeah, because yeah, you you don't yeah, and I even think would think about like some of the classical works that written for like the you know the aristocracy. A lot of people did not hear them. They right. could they couldn't get in. Um, right. Victoria, so you're a fan of Victoria's music. His oh, music yeah. is beautiful. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. I sung it too. So, yeah. <laughs> wow, that's inc- that's incredible. Yeah, to hear the. Um, oh yeah, it's um. Oh, that yeah, that music's so stirring. Yeah, I, it's interesting to 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 hear that because it's a, uh, it's beautiful. I like uh, Arvo Parrot too as a modern yes. choral composer too. Oh, absolutely. Coming yep. into his his work with a modern take on it, I need to check out um, Eric Whitaker's music now. I need to yeah yeah to check out into that. Okay, so like so one of them is choral based then? Uh you're going to be well, constructing a I, choir maybe? I wouldn't say bass, but it definitely is an important piece to it. Um Okay. The other um uh the other idea is to use some of the more um some of the samples of let's say real world world sounds. Um there's an interesting um plugin by uh Luftrum called Bioscape. Um, and uh, I've been, been making use of that a lot in some of my, the pieces that I'm currently working on. Um, you know, there are all kinds of, of kind of earthly slash unearthly because they've been tweaked, um, (laughs) soundscapes, you know, drips, uh, wind, um, um, wind through, you know, a wire fence, um, all kinds of stuff, uh, that kind of brings you into a, a place where you can be sitting again in a landscape and, you know, experiencing some of those sounds along with some of the more, let's say, um, I don't, I, musical is, is not the right word because it's all music, um, yeah. but melodic, let's say. Um, okay. So yeah, I've been, okay. and, and, you know, again, the idea of a portal, uh, that's something that's staying with me. So that might be, like I, I think that's it. You know, I won't call it a hint, but because it, it's really, I'm really not at the place right now where I can say, all right, this is this is the theme of this one. This is the theme of that one. But but it is what I'm working on. Yeah. Okay. Okay. It but working on two things at the one t- at the same time. I mean, you know, they can shift. I'm sure. And well, yeah. And again, songs across I, sequencing. That wasn't my intent from the outset. It just happened as I, you know, you know, track after track, and I was listening to them realizing, hmm, okay, I think I'm, I think I'm hearing two different albums here. It's not one, I mean, it is one body of work, but it's not something under a single umbrella. I think there are two umbrellas here. So that, that's the stage where I'm at right now. And I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to, again, what occurs to me, what, what thoughts, what images, what feelings come to me as I'm listening to these tracks and, and which come to me consistently and persistently. And that usually gives me an idea of how to organize it and, and, you know, how to determine, all right, what's the story here? Um, You know, I think a lot of my music is kind of a parallel process or let's say it reflects a parallel process that's going on with me as I'm experiencing the world, you know, the pandemic, the whatever climate change, I mean, you name it. Um, it's, it's all in there. And, um, you know, what is the story? And I don't have words right now for the story. I have kind of scattered images, but, but not enough to unite it at this point, but yeah, I know they're probably going to be two, two albums. 
Oh, that's you heard it here. Um, <laughs> I, as I say, you heard it here. Um, Meg, you just answered a question that that I kind of go to a lot of times about. Um, I, I like to go into asking asking the artist uh, on the show when we get to 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 the certain point about, you know, what the making the music um what it does for them. And, and I, you've answered that. And of course you can add to it. And I kind of like to also like um, parallel that with um, what are some things that you like to pass on to your listening audience th through your music? Mm. Um, yeah. You know, that, that's a really, that, that's a really good question. Um, I am very much, an advocate of people having their own experience when they mm -hmm. listen to my music, as opposed to me telling them what they should experience or what it is, is about is if that's some absolute definition, it's not. Yeah. Um, and people can have very different images and experiences of a given track of my work than, than I might. And that's fine. You know um, the way I see it is that, you know, it's not just me. It's not just the personal me writing this stuff. There's some kind of larger energy, larger process that I'm, I think, hooking in with. Sure, um, tapping into. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it becomes more, it becomes less of my own and more of whatever it is and whatever it means for listeners as yeah. I offer it out into the world. Um, and so my work will mean different things to different people. What I'm trying to do, what I find myself trying to do, I think with all of this electronic and digital computer-based stuff is to humanize it mm -hmm. and to um, per hopefully provide an experience that people can listen to this and not feel that it's kind of cold and calculating and, and you know, antiseptic and, and just technical, but that there's kind of a human expressive piece to it. Um, and I guess maybe I'm struggling as much as we all are with the interface between technology and humanity. Um, mm -hmm. um, I'm not uh, in any way, shape or form uh, claiming that I, I know the answer to that and the answer is music. But I think what I find myself struggling with is, you know, how to humanize it all. Um, and I think that's that's very important. Um, and, uh, you know, beyond that, I think to give people an experience, to take them into a world where they can let go of whatever it is they're struggling with in their day-to-day -day lives and <clears throat> where they can have an experience of, of pleasure, of rest, of, of, of peace, of, of enjoyment. And, um, and, and that, that's what I hope for. And I, I have gotten you know, sometimes people, people write to me and share with me that, you know, I was listening to your work and I was, you know, in the hospital recovering from X, Y, Z. And, you know, that to me is, is, is so incredibly moving that the music could help a person come through an experience like that. in, in some way, I feel so deeply honored that it does that. And that I'm part of this greater tribe of, of musicians and artists that continually produce work and share it with the world. That's awesome. It that's awesome and uh, very inspiring. And uh, and and yeah, it's it's a, it's I found it's a really wonderful community of artists. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that uh, that are in this in this place. Um, Meg, thank you for talking to me on Tones and Drones. 
Oh, it's been my pleasure, Jason. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And I'd love to have you back on the show. This this podcast goes on and on, especially as your new work evolves. Um, yeah, of course. And, uh, and, and and I always like to get in there to places that people can find your music. Your website is a great source. And I noticed you're also on Bandcamp, right. too. Bandcamp is great. I love Bandcamp. I me, mean, too. Band- take you down this 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 joyous rabbit hole of discovery i love it <laughs> oh likewise i am such an advocate for Bandcamp. um yep. so you can find you, you're on Bandcamp, and then you also yep. have your website too also mm-hmm. okay yes and um and uh so people can go and and find the music there and listen to the music um uh uh that that a lot that we've talked about here a lot of pieces we've talked right. about here just on tones and drones and kind of go mm-hmm. farther with that absolutely um, but thank you for doing this. And, and I, I always cut, I close this show out with, with may music bring you peace and joy. Oh, and likewise. Thank you so much. Thank you, Meg. All right, Jason. Thanks again to my guest, Meg Bowles, for being a guest on Tones and Drones. You can find out more about her music at megbowlesmusic.com. And we began the podcast with Evensong, our introduction, followed by time and light also from the even song album and then we heard the selection glacial dawn from our album a quiet light and we're going to close the program with the sweetness of mist from our album the shimmering land thank you for listening to this episode of tones and drones You can find the podcast on all the major podcast platforms and also on the NPR One app. Also, there's the Tones and Drones radio program that airs where this podcast produced, 91.3 KVLU. You can uh, listen online at kvlu.org. It comes on on Sundays at 10 p.m. Central Standard Time. If there's a place on your podcast platform to leave a review, please do so. And I really appreciate you listening to the show. And as is said on the show, when we close it out, may music bring you peace and joy.